Jeff's wearing a couple of hats for us today, and I appreciate that immensely. Um, before I start going, I just got a, a text, and somebody also shared with me their text um, that uh, the pools are, uh, their fire is absolutely under control um, and, and diminished, or whatever you call it. There's technical fireman words for that. Well, um, what it means is everybody's feeling a little more safe. That doesn't mean that there's not damage. doesn't mean that there's not problems. It just means that we don't have to worry about it going any further um, and that the family is safe. So, that being said, thank you, Jesus. And then we want to say, come Holy Spirit, because I want to take you into the eighth chapter of the book of Acts, and I want to continue to talk about this word, represent. What does it mean for us to show up and show off Jesus Christ? What does it mean for us to be willing to open up our mouths and stand up and say, this is what I believe, without swinging a hammer, throwing a rock, or beating somebody? We don't have to do that as Christian people. We can just simply say, this is what the scripture says, and so this is what we believe. But there's sometimes when we gotta say, it's what I believe, but why? And there's nothing wrong with that. So let's look at the why in the eighth chapter of the book of Acts. I wanna talk about a guy named Philip. And there's four Philips that are mentioned in the Bible. Um, a couple of them are um, disciples, believe it or not. Um, two of them, excuse me, two of them were sons of Herod the Great. One of them was a disciple, and one of them is confused as a disciple. He actually was Philip the Evangelist, and Philip the Evangelist was called when there was a need within the church. So the church had been born, it was moving forward. In the beginning in the eighth chapter of the book of Acts, you've got um, the persecution that comes against the church, and then Stephen stands up, and uh, they take him out to stone him, and he says, wait a minute, and he preaches the whole gospel to them. And they decide that this is the most awful thing that they've ever heard. And so they stone him to death. And as, as he's dying, he, he invokes a blessing from God and just says, Lord, please, please, please. These people don't know what they're doing. He, he, he talks to God about it. And then we move down into um, what's referred to theologically as a diaspora. But um, what that just simply means is the scattering of. Okay, so what happens is because the church is being attacked in the eighth chapter of the book of Acts, it scatters. And I actually had a, a Bible college professor say, think about it this way. Jesus told everybody in Matthew 28, I want you to go and make disciples. Okay, now go means as you go along, but get the word out, start moving, start doing this thing. And what happened was everybody hold up. And they did that. And listen, people were getting saved in Jerusalem. There was no doubt about it. Okay? I mean, 3,000 people got saved when Peter stood up and just said, listen, people, you don't even know what you just did. Let me tell you. And people said, what must we do? And he said, repent every one of you and each of you be baptized. And that's what happened. 3,000 people came to know Jesus that day. But they still stayed in Jerusalem. And God said, I want you to take the word out. And so I had a Bible professor that suggested that if need be, the Lord will allow your culture to encroach upon you to get you to do the thing he asked you to do, which was leave and get the word out. And so in this picture, we have this, this picture of everybody running, and Philip um, is one of those guys that I want to talk about. Now, Philip is the evangelist. He was also the deacon of the First Christian Church of Jerusalem, okay? There's actually not back then at least, uh, a church that's First Christian Church of Jerusalem. There was only one church in any given town 
Christian church until people started getting sideways with each other. But at the end of the day, Philip was the evangelist, but he was a deacon. And I want to take you to um, Acts chapter 8, and I want to read this part. It's just a little tiny bit lengthy, but this is the whole story, and the whole story is important. Now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, Philip the evangelist, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out on his way and he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and was on his way home. He was sitting in the chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. And he said, do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless somebody explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading the, this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before the shearer is and as a lamb before the shearer is silent so he did not open his mouth in his humiliation he was deprived of justice and who can speak of his descendants for his life was taken from the earth the eunuch asked philip tell me please who is the prophet isaiah talking about himself or someone else and philip began with that passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here's some water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Both Philip and the eunuch went out down into the water and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. There's a little verse in there that's in manuscripts has moved around, but it says when the um, um, eunuch says, look, here's water, why shouldn't I be baptized? Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, we talked about that last week, you may. And the eunuch answered, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the son of God. And so as a result of that, he ended up getting baptized. And so this is the picture. It's the picture that we have of Philip and who he is and what's going on. And Philip was just, you know, he's, he's just a guy. That's all he is, all right? Um, some would contend theologically that he was one of the 72 that Jesus sent out two by two and said, hey, you go ahead of us and do this. And they came back and said, wow, we saw this happening and this was amazing. And Jesus said, don't be amazed at that. Be amazed that your names are written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. But they would contend that he had been Jesus with Jesus for a long time. But he first shows up, Philip, he first shows up in Acts chapter 6. The scripture says in Acts chapter 6, this proposal, I'll get to why they were making a proposal in a minute, pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, the one that ends up getting um, um, stoned to death, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Also, Philip, our guy Philip. There he is. They also chose Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, um, Parmenas, Nicholas um, from Antioch, and a convert to Judaism. And they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them, and they were basically called up for ministry. So we have this picture of what's going on. See, the early church um, came together, things got rolling, and here's the deal. For people that, don't, that you don't have to go to church to be saved. I get that, but Jesus said he's going to build the church, and so he expects you to go to church. 
That's why it says in the word, don't forsake the gathering together with the saints as some are inclined to do. We are called to come together. But they were immediately aware and started a food pantry. They, they really did. They, handed, they, they started a program of handing out bread to widows. And so what happened was, the um, Hebraic widows started taking advantage of the Grecian widows, their cousins, they're still Jews, but they were getting their fair share of the bread before the other ones got bread, and it became a big problem. And you've got 12 disciples that are saying, listen, we need to continue to present the gospel of Jesus Christ, we need to continue to pray, and so they said to the people, listen, we want you to select seven men, okay, seven men. Bring them together that everybody approves of. And, and look, at, look at what the qualification was. It says, bring to the, us seven men full of the Spirit of God and wisdom. And they turned the responsibility of handing out the bread, of running the Hope Food Pantry over to them. So the whole point was they were looking for people full of the Spirit of God whose lives were constantly changing and growing and where there was evidence of the Holy Spirit himself in their lives to do nothing more than deacon the group. I have often looked at that and said, wow, look at what that means. There were hundreds and hundreds, even thousands of people that could have taken on this task. They could have just gathered people together and said, listen, we want you, 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 you. We just need you to start handing out bread because we've got to make sure everybody gets bread. But instead they said, back up, because these people are going to represent the church. They said, back up. We need people full of the spirit and wisdom so they can see how this is done. There's a lot of things that people don't um, read in the scripture. Um, they just kind of pass over and, and a lot of people have opinions. Christian people have a lot of opinions about what the scripture does and doesn't say. You know, Paul says that widows shouldn't be put on the widow's list for free bread until they're 60 years old. You and I would sit down and say, wait a minute, whoa, 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 whoa. What about the single mom? What about the... They say, no, until they're 60 years old. How do we wrestle with that as Christian people and as a church, you know what I mean? And then it says, and um, they need to be like serving the local church body. It's like, how do we handle that? What do we do with that? But we often don't realize that there are things like that that were part of the structure of the early church, and how do we do it? Well, in this case, they needed to make sure that these women were getting bread. They needed to make sure that people were being fed, that they were being cared for, um, and so they called it up, and they said, here's the deal. We want to encourage people to step up, and so they had these seven guys that stepped up. They didn't make excuses. They simply stepped up. It's the same way that we do like our small group leaders and um, team leaders and when we turn an event over to somebody, it's like, hey, what do we see God doing in people's lives? That's representing. That's what that means. So if somebody were to say to, to, say to you, hey, would you come and be a part of this? Um, we see this gift or this, this growth or this act of the Holy Spirit inside of you. That's a good thing. It's because you're representing, and that's what we're after. And that's what they were looking for is somebody who would represent, okay? Um, in, our, in our starting point, um, our, uh, our covenant that we sign talks about the idea that it is the goal of leaders to create a, a church full of people that represent the kingdom of God. We represent together. 
We want to protect the uni unity of our church. It's the thing that Jesus prayed for in John chapter 7. More than anything, he said, Father, bring them to complete unity. He wants the church to come together. And remember, there wasn't different denominations back then. He wants the church to come together so that it can represent well. And for us, it means acting in love. It means refusing to gossip and resolving conflicts. It means following the leaders, not drinking the Kool-Aid, just following the vision, following the mission statement, moving forward. The second part is it we share the responsibility to represent the church, praying for its growth, inviting the unchurched to attend, and warmly welcoming anybody that walks in the door. I'm cra it's crazy to me how many times I've heard people in two different services that we've run here say, oh my word, do you know who just walked in the door? And it's like, welcome them. <laughs> Please welcome them. I laughingly talk about the fact that one of the first Sundays that we were in this particular building, we'd only been to church for about 10 months, um, there was a, uh, an alcoholic, a homeless man sitting out on the, you know, the little curb that comes down the handrail, next to the handrail. He was sitting right out there. We were all excited because we were in the new building and we've been here for a couple of weeks and somebody came to me and said, hey, there's a homeless guy out here. Um, I think he's drunk and, and uh, he's right by the door. I said, well, invite him in. And people said, I can't do that. Could you invite him in? It was summer. He was out there in cut-off shorts, frayed like what we used to wear in the 70s. Wear in the 70s. He had tube socks up to about here with two stripes around it. He had hair down to here that was, in my mind, immaculately kept. He was a nice-looking man. He had uh, brunette hair. He had blue eyes, ice blue eyes. I will never, ever forget this man named Greg, ever. And he was sitting there with a the McDonald's, um, you know, one of the, those mega, you know, giant um, sodas, and, 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 and I sat down right there on the curb next to him. I just sat right down. He looked at me like, what? And I could smell that wasn't Diet Coke. It was not Diet Coke. <laughs> it's like, okay, the spirit's here now. I get it. <laughs> but we got to talking back and forth, and when it was all said and done, I maybe talked to him for about 10 or 15 minutes about where he was, where he lived, and he lived over where the CVS is now. It was a big field just a couple years ago. Um, and he, he lived over there in a tent, and he didn't want a job, and he didn't want to be a part of society. He looked to be about 34 years old, uh, 35 years old. And, uh, and, and I, I finally just said, hey, Greg, do me a favor. Why don't you come on in and have worship with us? He said, I can come in there? I said, yeah. That's why we're here. It's what God wants us to do. Could you do me a favor and put a shirt on first? <laughs> he laughed at me, just like you just did and said, yeah, I'll put my shirt on. And he came in and he sat way back there because back then we only had church on that side of those two pillars over there. And, and he sat way in the back over there. And he joined us for worship. And he wasn't afraid to join us. And we represented the kingdom of God to him. And a year later, I saw him again. And he came to the door and I said, Greg, it's good to see you. And he said, you remembered my name. I said, I'll never forget it. Ever. Because I believe that I saw Jesus in the eyes of that man. And everybody welcomed Greg and made him feel like this is a place where he could find Jesus. We support the ministry of this church by discovering your own gifts. Now listen, let me say this nicely. Some of you know how to play musical instruments and you're hiding it for fear that we might ask you to play it. 
I can't tell you how many people have gone through this church and when they graduate college or something, they're like, hey, oh, by the way, you know, I played the guitar and I used to play with, you know, Steely Dan or something. Not, not really like that, but you know what I mean. And it's like, you, you, you wouldn't even be a part. I was afraid you'd ask me to join the worship team. It's like, yes, yes, I will. I'll at least ask you to try out. Because you have been gifted by God, each and every one of you, to do something that makes you an integral part of a body of believers. You've got wisdom. You've got administrative skills. The, the, the way that my wife knows that Jesus is here and the Holy Spirit is here is because I am the most unadministrative person in the world. And for the first five years of this, this church, she didn't understand who I was. Everything was organized and administratively put together and it was run that way. And she's like, who are you? She's the administrative one in our relationship. Dave Ramsey would say, she's the uptight one and I'm this free spirit, okay? Or whatever he calls those of you that, you know, actually run things. See? Yeah. Because you have gifts that the kingdom of God needs. And just because your gift isn't standing right there does not mean that your gift is not important. I often will say that I've got this beautiful grandfather clock in my house and it's absolutely gorgeous and the face is gorgeous and it's, it's just beautiful. But if you reach around into nowhere's land and pull out the smallest piece of that clock that never stands on the stage, it will stop running. Because every piece of it is important. You are important. To support the ministry of this church by discovering your gifts and talents, by being equipped to serve, uh, by developing a servant's heart. And then finally, support the testimony of my church by attending faithfully, living a growing, that means changing, godly life, and by tithing and giving regularly. And, and it's, it's so much so that, you know, even as we anticipate hiring people in here, one of the first places we go is their social media. It is. It gives us a window to their soul. But if they're going to be on staff here, they're going to represent not just the kingdom of God, but this church. And it's important that it's conducive. And so we're aware of that. In the book of Acts, they didn't just grab somebody because it didn't matter. It matters desperately. This guy, Philip, was a eunuch. I'm going to be honest. I just have to say this. I was really trying to figure out, because, you know, the word eunuch that's translated, it also can mean like a government official. And the irony of that's not lost on me um, personally, okay? Um, but I, I, I just thought we got to read it, you know, the, the way the simplest reading, and it's eunuch, and, and you can look it up later. But I thought, wow, that, that's a tough spot. But this is a guy that had to be in charge of government things for Candace. And the word Candace actually means um, um, queen of the Ethiopians. That's what the word means, okay? And so here's this guy. And this guy was aware of God. And he was hungry for God. And he was chasing God. And you know what? It was inconvenient. Chasing God was inconvenient. He had to get in a chariot and go up to Jerusalem because he wanted to worship in the temple. And it was inconvenient. That was one of our words from just not too long ago. Inconvenient. And he was available to God. He made himself available. He took a break. He took a vacation. He took whatever time the queen would give him. Got in a chariot and went up to Jerusalem. Absolutely amazing. And then he represented. He learned to represent. 
So we've got this guy that's referred to as Philip the Evangelist that walks right up to him, and I love that part. You ever been there where God said, hey, I want you to go do this right here? I remember one time early on in my faith, the Lord told me while I was coming home to pick up this homeless guy that was on the side of the road hitchhiking across America. And he said, hey, I want you to give him a ride. And it's like I was going to go an hour down the road before I got off at my exit um, up on I-70. And so I did. And as I was approaching my exit, I mean, seriously, the Lord just said, hey, and his name was Stephen. And he said, um, why don't you invite him to stay the night? And it's like I live in an 850-square-foot house with five kids and a wife and a nanny. Where am I going to put this guy? Holy God, I don't know him. He's a nice enough guy. And so we traveled, and I brought him home, and I said, okay, Lord, I'm going to give this a shot. And I walked in the house, and I told my wife, I said, hey, this is Stephen. Stephen came with me. Um, I picked him up, giving him a ride, and, and she's like, oh, hey, Stephen, how you doing? You want something to eat? And I, yeah, we haven't had anything to eat. We're kind of hungry. Can you just throw something together for us? And she's like, yeah, I got that. And this, and this is where it got weird. It got close to time to go to bed, and I said, hey, Stephen wants to use the, we're going to let him use the washer and dryer to clean his clothes. And she said, what? I said, well, you know, I asked him if he needed the washer and dryer, and he said, yeah, he could use the washer and dryer that would help. Real nice guy. And, and I said, well, we're going to let him use the washer and dryer. And she said, come with me. And, and I said, yes, ma'am, because that's what you say, okay, when you know. Um, and so she, we went in the back room, and she said, who is this guy? And I said, I don't have a clue. And she said, and he needs the washer and dryer. I said, it gets better. She said, what? I said, he needs to stay the night. She said, in the house? It's like, yeah, in the house. What are we going to do with kids? We're going to put them all in our bedroom and lock the door. I mean, we're not stupid, you know. And so that's what we did, you know. And we had a wonderful time with Stephen. And the next day, believe it or not, took him back out to the highway because he was literally on his way to Maine for the summer. And we had a great conversation because that's where I'm from. But have you ever had one of those times when the Lord says, hey, I want you to do this. You don't know how many people railed on me from church for hearing God and acting. And what if he was a murderer? What if he was worse? And I said, what if? What if? Do I believe God can take care of me or not? Do I believe that going home to heaven is the reward, is the inheritance, is what God has prepared for me? Are we really going to do everything we can to stay on this planet because we want more of what's going on in the world? I went off. I've done 30 years for you, Jesus, for the Lord. Thank you. And I'm not being sassy and, and sarcastic. I've given him 30 years of my life in full-time ministry. Can I come home, please? Please. And he said, no. But he's calling each one of us. The one thing that I see that Philip said was, was going on in Philip's life was he heard God. God said, I want you to go down to the road. And he goes down to the road. He goes, I want you to go over there. I believe God still speaks that way to people. I just don't believe we always want to hear it. You ever been in a room at McDonald's, at Kmart, at Walmart? And I'm not talking about your money. I'm just saying the Lord said, go over there and pray for that person and just tell them that Jesus said that you're to come over here and pray for them. And you're like, ah. And then you go home, right? 
Yeah, I got sideways with a neighbor when we moved into the neighborhood we were in. Two years later, the Lord said, I want you to go down there, you know, and apologize to that lady. And I said, ah, oh, I was right. He said, no, 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 you were right, but you handled it wrong. And I said, okay, I don't need to apologize. And he said, go apologize. And I said, ah, oh, and I got an airplane and flew to Texas. <laughs> Honestly, that's what I did. And, and I went and spent time with my family, and I came home. <laughs> and I sat down in the living room and was having a quiet time. And I said, okay, now that you're home, I want you to go down the road, and I want you to apologize to the lady. He's like, ah, Lord, I was right. And he said, I know you were right. He said, but you handled it wrong. So I went down there, and I apologized to the lady because it was the right thing to do. And we've become friends, the kind that stop and talk to one another and can care about one another and can pray if we need to for her because of what she's going through. And it's like, yeah, we can do that. Have you ever been there when the Lord said to do that? Because that's Philip the evangelist. And I believe that's where the Lord wants us. Philip was representing his character, not his role, okay, or position. He didn't have a job. Remember, he was a deacon. He wasn't getting paid necessarily. He just, dude, hand out some bread. Hand out the bread. Hand out the bread. Come together and hand out the bread. It was who he was. He was representing his character in his relationship to God. You know, I keep hearing that, you know, God qualifies the called. He doesn't always call the qualified. And I'll agree with that, except that I do believe that when people are unqualified, God is still putting them through what is referred to as the school of God qualifying them. David didn't get qualified to be the king after he became the king. He got qualified to be the king when he was taking the lamb out of the mouth of the lion see. But David had no intentions or plans to become the king of Israel. But God was qualifying before he was ever called. And when people said, well, he's not qualified, he's a shepherd boy. God had already gotten him to where he needed to be. And so this is our guy, Philip. And so we see that he was representing his character. And I love this because it's his character in verse uh, six, uh, chapter 6 of the book of Acts. It says, Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom, and we'll turn this responsibility over to them, and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. That, that's just all. I shared that with you just to say all of the people around Philip said, That guy right there, that's the guy you need to hand out bread because he's full of the Spirit and wisdom. And I love that about him. Second thing is, um, representing made him available to God. Because he wanted to represent this new church, he became available to God. Not because he was the Apostle Philip, because he wasn't. He was Philip the deacon, Philip the evangelist. But the apostles saw something in him, and they presented him the responsibility that gave him the opportunity. Okay? Not like the Bible man at college. You know, every spring, people are always asking me about this guy that shows up on EKU's campus or probably just about every college campus. And this is a guy that was an evangelist, and he just tells everybody how awful and nasty and horrible, and he calls them names in the name of Jesus. Tells them they're all going to hell in the name of Jesus. That is not Christianity. That is not Jesus. Jesus doesn't waffle on sin, but he doesn't swing it like a sword or a club. It's an invitation to a better life, the one that God wants for you. And so when we say that Philip was an evangelist, his reputation was compassion and caring and being available to God. 
In the book of 2 Corinthians, it says, and all this, this gift that we have, this salvation is from God who reconciled you and I to himself through Christ Jesus and gave us the ministry, the responsibility of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ and not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. You can put representation in there where it says reconciliation. You and I have been given the ministry to represent the kingdom of God and know that it is the forgiveness of sin for the vilest of sinners that walks in this door. The drunkest of human beings, the most homeless, homeless person can come in here and find grace. But only you can make sure they find love. Only you. Because you've got to be willing to get outside so that you can be available to God, so you can represent. Matthew 28 says to go and make disciples. That means represent. You know, Joseph in the Old Testament had a dream, and God said, this is what's going to have. You're going to be standing in front of everybody, and it's going to be amazing. And then it took, what, 20 or 30 or 40 years to get there. And here's the deal. No matter where Joseph was, he represented God. And as a result of that, he kept rising to the top. See? He kept going up there. Representing God shaped Joseph's character, not vice versa. As we continue to push forth the love of Jesus Christ, it changes who we are. If it's not changing us, we're going through the motions. And we need to connect back to God ourselves. The third thing here is that representing without, excuse me, is about stepping up your game. And that's scary. I love to represent God when I was in high school, when I met him. I love to represent God when I graduated from high school and then was part of the church, just a little church of 60 or 70 people. I love to do that. But the more you represent, the more you're available to God, the more you're available to God, and it just keeps going and snowballing until the elders corner you in their coat room, and it was a coat room, and they say, uh, Joe, listen, we need to talk to you for a second. We think you belong in full-time ministry. And I said, wow, I need to pray about that. And you've heard me say, I went home and laughed my full head off. That's not going to happen. I had big plans. I was making good money. I water skied once a week at least. I planned on getting a boat and a truck. I planned on coming to this place called Kentucky and water skiing for a week of vacation every summer down at this lake called Somerset that I just learned about. I was going to do all these things. Pastors don't do that. They're supposed to be poor and sniveling and groveling and doormats and run over by people. I'm failing at most of that part of it. I just want you to know that I know that, okay? Okay. I get that. Because pastors really aren't supposed to be that. It's okay to enjoy your life. And so for two years I said, no, no, no. And then they cornered me again and said, this is where we think you belong. And it was at that point that Pastor Janice and I began to pray and say, okay, Lord, we're available for whatever you want. See, when you begin to represent the kingdom of God, it can start to, you know, cause you to step up your game. And when you step up your game, it can get expensive. But I'll tell you what, it's the most incredible thing that has ever happened happened to me at all. 
And I would say that the one thing that I continue to pray for in my personal life is life change. I haven't arrived yet. I want to represent better. I want to grow more godly because that's what I signed up for. Second Corinthians, it says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. And that's a hard thing for us to do because we polarize people, Democrat, Republican, Libertarian, liberal, conservative. We've got labels to push people into corners and they don't come from the kingdom of God. They don't. They really don't. But as soon as we get a thought, we go ahead and make a judgment and there we are. And God is saying, don't do that anymore. Don't regard people, don't judge people from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ from a worldly point of view, we don't do that any longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he, the, the new creation come. The old is gone, the new is here. He is a new creation is where I memorize that. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is, come, uh, the old is gone, the new is come. That's, that's, a, that's a, a, a tense that's ongoing. It's ongoing. I'm looking for the change. I'm not looking for the thrill. I'm not looking for the adrenaline. I'm looking to be more changed by God. John the Revelator says to you and I this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anybody hears my voice and opens the door, I'm going to come in and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes the world, who, to him who overcomes the world, to him who perseveres, who, to him who never stops changing, becoming more like Christ, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down on my father's throne. And to one of the churches, he says, I will give him the right to eat from the tree of life. And I love that one as well. God is calling you and I to begin to represent, to get outside of our comfort zone because that's the first thing. And I would encourage you to begin to say, could I go pray for that somebody when you walk into a coffee shop? Somebody that you don't know and it's going to make you uncomfortable. And you say, well, why would I do that? Because the more uncomfortable you get, the easier it is to be available to God. The less available to God you are, the more uncomfortable it gets. See, it plays back and forth just a little bit. And I want to be... God, please be careful with me. But I want to be more uncomfortable. I want to be more uncomfortable because I want to see God move. God is calling you in your present place of work, place of play, your home, to represent. But one of the things that I love about this story is that God speaks to you and I, but we have to decide whether or not we're going to do it. And I would begin to say, hey, God, what is it you're doing? What are you doing? What are you doing that I can be a part of today? What are you doing? And when you walk into a room, I, I, I don't know some of you, but I know a lot of you. And I promise you that the day I met you, the first thought through my head when I shook your hand, if I got to shake your hand, was, God, why do I know this person and what are we going to do together? I honestly... I've said that out loud to some of you. I'm not sure why God brought you into my life, but it's because he's doing something that both of us together are needed to do it. You're here for me, I'm here for you, and we're moving the kingdom forward. And it's time for us to represent.
And if we've got to look at our lives and put some things in order, if we've got to look at our lives and let go of some things, I'm not talking about sin. I'm just talking about weights and distractions. If we've got to let go of some things so that we can press into hearing and seeing what God is doing, because Jesus said, I only do what I see my Father in heaven doing. That's all I do. I want to see what God is doing so that I can join him. I want to be a part of that. Make Jesus a normal part of your conversation. That's the first thing I would encourage you to do. Somebody asked me one time, how do I do that? Well, don't guard your conversation anymore. When you're at work on Monday and somebody says, hey, brother, this happened. Say, yeah, I was at church yesterday and my pastor said this. What do you think about that? You say, what if they're not Christians? Well, that's what we're after, not Christians. But it's okay to ask their opinion on something that causes them to engage into a conversation. You don't have to browbeat them and have the answer. Just simply ask their opinion. Hey, my pastor said that, you know, we got to pray for people a little more often. We're not sure why we don't. What do you think about that? And they'll say, that's weird. You say, yeah, I thought so too. I think I'm going to give it a shot. Can I pray for you later today? Yeah, watch what happens. Okay, give it a shot. Stop and ask God, what are you saying to me? What are you asking of me? And what are you encouraging me in? Because I believe this. Jesus says, according to John the Revelator, stuck on an island all by himself, he says, behold, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. And I'm absolutely thrilled because I had to learn this. I wasn't aware of this when I first saw it. There's a painting out there. I call it an old Catholic painting because that's where my mindset is. I was raised Catholic. Of Jesus standing in a garden, knocking on a door. And it took me years till I realized there was no doorknob on the door. Don't take my word for it. Go back and look the picture up. There's no doorknob on the door intentionally. Because Jesus is on the outside asking you to open the door to your heart. He's not kicking it in. And there's something right now that he is knocking on the door of your heart and asking of you. There is something that you know right now, maybe I didn't even say it in this message, but you're like, ah, please don't say that. I'm not gonna say it, okay? Whatever it is, I'm not gonna say it because you're already hearing it. You're already hearing it. This is a time to tell the Lord, God, I wanna represent. What is it you want from me? I wanna invite you to come to your feet. Let's have a closing prayer. Fathers, we come before you right now. We thank you and we praise you for this word and this picture from Philip and the eunuch. God, I thank you for just the challenge to believe. To believe you still speak if we'll just slow down and listen and then do. God, I ask your forgiveness for the times that I didn't do the doing part, but I wanted the listening part. So I just ask and pray. Come Holy Spirit behalf of this congregation and myself, Lord, forgive us for grieving you, Holy Spirit. Forgive us for offending you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for still being here. Come in here and move us into the work of the kingdom of God, because God, I just feel like the trumpet is going to blow. And you want your church to come together. So we thank you for this in Jesus' name. 
If there is something, let me just do this generally. If there is something that you would like prayer for, some sort of physical healing, some sort of, uh, if you're facing a surgery, if you're facing just a, a chronic existing physical, could we just pray for you today? That's just on my heart today. That we pray for somebody's healing, for people's healing. If you're going through something or facing something or living with something, and you're like, man, I just, just want to believe that God will heal me. Can we pray for you today? Could you just come up here? We're going to go into this closing song. And uh, I need a prayer person. Just come right up here, Barbie. There you go. And we're not begging God. In the name of Jesus Christ, we're taking authority and commanding that the, the power of God drives out what needs to be healed, restores what needs to be healed. We're not begging God. We're taking authority in Jesus' name not our righteousness, but in God's great name that he gave to us and said, do these things. That's what we're doing. We're going to go into this song, and if there's something else that you would like prayer for, I promise you, if you show up up here, somebody will show up to pray for you. You're facing something, you're struggling with something, you're in something, you've experienced something, doesn't matter what it is. We want to be faithful to what God's calling us to do, to love one.